Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture. And this Lent, these uh, weeks leading up to Easter, we've been focusing on the words from the cross. And although they're words from the cross, today they're really about heaven, about paradise, about um, the the ultimate things, uh, the end game of, of where this uh, started from and where this is going. And so I'd actually like to do a podcast here in the middle of Lent on heaven and, and what heaven might actually be like. And it turns out that one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because what the Bible says about the afterlife is so much richer and so much more beautiful than sort of, uh, I think, folk religion really gets at. So um, prepare to have most of your notions of heaven uh, deconstructed, (laughs) but only for something uh, far more uh, beautiful and and ultimately biblical. So without further ado, let's get on. Tell me love is real. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is because of how we understand what heaven is like. And I want to be careful here because a lot of times when people talk about heaven, they, um, they give a very limited uh, vision of it. So when I uh, go to funerals, I'm a pastor, I go to a lot of them. People often uh, stand up and give really eloquent, loving words about their deceased loved ones. And this is always touching for me as a pastor to hear what uh, people have to say and just these beautiful stories and memories they have of of people they love and care about. And and it's just an honor to be a part of of that um, ritual uh, for people. And oftentimes at the end of their, their words, sometimes called eulogies, they'll say something like, and now I know that, you know, you're, you're up in heaven dancing with, you know, mom. Or I know you're now out there, you know, golfing away. Or, you know, I know you're there baking the cake that, that you love. In other words, heaven becomes uh, the place where you get your younger body <laughs> and you get to do things with people you love Uh, after you die, right? It's the place you go after you die where you get to do the things you love with the people you care about. And in some ways, if if I were to say, is it true or false that heaven is the place where you go when you die, where you get to do fun things with people you love, I'd say yes. But I would also want to say, in the same way if somebody said, is your favorite cake that your grandmother made you, is that a collection of sugar and flour that has been put in an oven with other chemicals? And I would say, well, yes, the favorite cake that my grandmother made me 
was sugar and flour that was added with some other chemicals and put into an oven, but that would in no way, shape, or form describe the multidimensional reality of, of sight and smell and taste that, that is my grandmother's cake. In the same way, saying that heaven is the place you go and you die to do fun things to people you love, it's, it's true, but it's a really truncated vision of, of what heaven actually is. And to get at what heaven is like and, and the hope that we really have as Christians, I want to turn to what Jesus is, is saying here in this word of the cross. And in this word of the cross, uh, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I want to pick up for you on this phrase in paradise. What does Jesus mean here? Does Jesus mean, uh, again, sort of um, kicking back a cool drink uh, with some ice in our tumbler while we play golf or uh, smoke cigars or watch a sunset or something? Or, you know, uh, what does paradise mean? Uh, and I think for a lot of us, we might be savvy enough to, to recognize, well, paradise, of course, refers to a Mideastern garden of ancient antiquity. <laughs> and so we might then be drawn to heaven being a really nice place, right? A place where you don't have to labor and there's um, beauty and comfort. So again, we're getting close to the place of beauty and comfort. You go and you die to do the fun things with the people that you love. But I want to push it a little bit further. Because this word here that Jesus says for paradise, this is not the only time that it appears in Scripture. In, in fact, the word for paradise, it is a Middle Eastern garden. And so in Genesis, when the world is created and God puts humanity in the Garden of Eden, the word there in Genesis, the Greek translation of the Hebrew there, and again, the New Testament is in Greek, so we're looking at the same language here. The, the Greek word in the Old Testament is paradise. It's the paradise of Eden. God, uh, again and again in Genesis, it says that God made the paradise of Eden. God put the man in paradise Right? So this is what's happening. There's a paradise in the beginning. It was in paradise where the tree of life is. And in fact, the book of Revelation will pick this up. And the book of Revelation will say in chapter 2 that the tree of life is found in the paradise of God. So scripture then starts to have an arc here from beginning to end, interrupted here at this point on the cross, of paradise being um, this garden where, where God is and God wants us to be. So it might be harder to hear the paradise of Eden or that, that uh, but what does it sound like when we say to you that today you will be with me in the garden? Today you will be with me in the garden. And perhaps for some of you, again, this just is about then natural beauty and uh, 
uh, yeah, again, fun things with people that we love. But when we start to put in the Bible, then it's like, well, okay, well, hold on. What does the garden signify in the Bible? What is the garden really all about? Well, the garden isn't simply a place of beauty or majesty um, or even flowers and trees. But the, in the garden, in the beginning, and then even at the end in Revelation, you have this image where, first of all, humanity is in right relationship with God, where humanity uh, trusts God, and this is how it was supposed to be in the beginning, and then in the book of Revelation, it is there where the people are in the garden, uh, where there's the tree of life in the middle, and the people are praising God. In the garden is also where humanity is uh, getting along with itself, loving uh, our neighbor as ourselves, where you have this, um, the first words out of Adam's mouth are, and the first words of any human uh, in the Bible and they come from a man, and that's significant in this way because it is Adam thanking God for his wife. It is, it is the human male standing in awe of the human female. That is the first word in the Bible, out of a human's mouth. <clears throat> and then in the book of Revelation, you see that the tree of life now gives its, its leaves for the healing of of the nations, right? The restoration of relationships as people from all tribes and all places and all times are praising the Lord together. And so you see that the garden here is about humanity getting along. And it's also about humanity's relationship with creation that is so out of whack right now. But in the, the garden, there's no killing of animals. In fact, Adam is naming the animals. It doesn't seem like any animals are threatening Adam. Um, and there's no sort of overconsumption. There's no worry about global warming. There's no worry about overpollution. It's just simply Adam is there with creation. And that's also how it is in the book of Revelation at the end. Again, that there's this harmony now between the the, the plants and the animals and the humans, uh, the stars and the sun, like everything is sort of the way it's supposed to be in sort of celestial order. And so when we hear in Scripture that uh, there is a, a garden and that Jesus is like, today you will be with me in the garden, he's saying to this penitent thief, today you will be with me in the place, the space, the time in which your relationship to God is restored. In which your relationship to others is restored. In literally your relation to creation is restored. And think about somebody dying on a cross. This other man's dying on a cross too. His relationship to God. Where is he at with his God after he's done this bad thing? And where he's even acknowledging that he should be on a tree. A dying there. What is his relationship to other humans? What is his relationship to the rest of creation? It's all been, been severed. It's been out of whack. And so what Jesus is saying is not simply you get to escape, but that you now get to be restored. And this to me then is why the, the vision of heaven and Christianity is so meaningful for me. It's not about an escape project. It's a restoration project that somehow uh, that uh, God's intention 
is not to scrap earth because it's so terrible, but somehow to bring earth and this created order that is so buzzing with life and just generative and beautiful to its fullness where the peace of God that passes all understanding transforms and takes over and that the relationship we have with others and with God and with humanity, uh, with, with creation has been restored. So today you'll be with me in the garden. You think of that whole garden theme and suddenly you have an image of heaven that is not about an escape, but it is about a restoration. It's about a fulfillment of God's promises and God's faithfulness to us as humans and to this broader created world and to God's own intentions. I'd like to go with you now where I know I could not go on a Sunday sermon because it would just be way too abstract. And perhaps even you'll tell me that was a little bit much for a podcast, but we're going to go there together. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that today has a time element to it. And a lot of times when we think about heaven, we think heaven is the place you go when you die. And part of my ministry is trying to help people understand that heaven is actually this relationship with Jesus that can exist here on earth. So there's that critique. But but I actually want to go kind of below that and, and really actually get into the question of how time works in heaven. Because from an earthly perspective, what Jesus says today doesn't make a lot of sense, at least in how we understand time. Because Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's almost impossible because Jesus, the first Peter teaches as well as scripture, uh, I mean the creeds confess that after he was crucified, Jesus descended to the dead. He finished the job. There um, were, were people that needed to hear the good news who had previously died. He needed not just to defeat death himself, but but destroy the the chains of hell, break hell open so that, so that um, those who could hear the good news now could, could be reunited with their Lord, right? So um, you have this sense, again, that Jesus is not in paradise on Good Friday. Uh, he's not in paradise on Saturday. In fact, it's on Easter when he comes back, then he's on earth doing all sorts of stuff here, and then He's ascended, and that's when Christians want to say that's when he begins to sort of dwell eternally uh, in paradise. So we, we seem to have a chronology problem here when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And therefore, it brings up the question, how does time work in heaven? And one way to think about how time works in heaven is that God's sense of timing is different than ours, although God is still a temporal being that heaven, uh, that time exists in heaven. So um, the way that uh, sort of time passes for me as a human is how angels or other uh, spiritual beings experience time, if not even God, God, uh, him or herself, that God experiences the movement of time. However, because Time is uh, on such a different perspective for God because God has been around for all eternity and God will be around for all eternity that really a 24-hour time period around the sun is kind of a meaningless concept to God in that 
you know, God's maybe more concerned with the, you know, the rotation of galaxies around themselves, that that would be more like a day to God or something. So when Jesus says today, this could really be from the heavenly vantage point of, you know, in, in the next iteration of time, which from your perspective would be 24 hours, but really from God's perspective, it's just the, the next sort of chapter um, uh, of the cosmos' history, sort of the, the eighth day is beginning here uh, with, with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so, so on, on this day of, of death and then resurrection, you will, um, you'll be with me. So again, it could be that God moves in time, but that movement and experience of time is so fundamentally different just because God's perspective um, is such a longer view. Another way to think about it is that God is, and I'm going to make up a term here, omnitemporal, and that means God is at all times at once. So uh, the way you could think about this is I'm in the church, and if I pray here or if I were to go home and pray, um, God didn't have to move between those two. God was was always there because God is omnipresent. So if my daughter right now is at school praying for a math test and I'm at church praying for her, uh, we would understand that both of us are talking to God because God is present and available for both of us. God is omnipresent. Well, the way to think about sort of omnitemporal is that God um, exists both yesterday and today at the same time, that there... um, that God understands the movement of time, just like God understands there's different positions, but God just can be in those different positions at the same moment. So that there, there is a way in which um, the, the time axis, God is at all points on the time axis at once, just like God is on the X, Y, and Z axis at all points at once. I know this is mind-blowing stuff, and so then when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, perhaps what he's saying is, um, you know, from God's perspective, this is all happening at once. And so it doesn't matter if um, it's 24 hours, 36 hours, or 48 hours left. From Jesus's perspective, it, it is here and now the way it will be uh, then in the future. It's all happening at once in Jesus's perspective. And in, in this way, that kind of starts to blow your mind. Uh, in the heavens, are you sort of experiencing all time all at once? Like when we get to heaven, do we suddenly experience time like God does where, um, you know, suddenly like we're opening up, like we're in heaven. Um, and again, there's just, I, I, I can't, I can't, again, it's really hard. I can't fully process it. Um, Okay, so the other way to think about it is what we might say is God is atemporal, and that means that uh, time is irrelevant. Uh, God exists outside of time. And in, in this way, um, there is no movement of time. There, um, it's not like um, sort of there are infinite clocks in heaven and they're all moving and you can sort of see all time there. Um, that Just the idea that God is somehow... Um, not defined, not limited, not experiencing time itself. And so in this case, today you will be with me in paradise is a word of promise to this human that their suffering will still be over, 
but that it really is a meaningless concept for God um, and really therefore for Jesus because time just doesn't exist. There, um, that the sort of the necessary chronology we want to map out of how revelation and how the millennial will start or whatever, that, that, just, that just doesn't, that, that that's not at all how the mind of God works. I can't uh, answer all of this. I don't know. But I just want to suggest that there, there may be some ways in which God's timing, of course, works differently than ours. But is it not something that God's vantage point on time is different, but that God completely processes time? Does heaven um, have a, just a totally different set of time where, where sort of all of uh, time is sort of accessible at once, sort of omnitemporal? Or is it that time just doesn't matter anymore? It's just sort of an irrelevant uh, concept. Well, I can't solve that for you, but hopefully that gives you some, something to ponder anew this day as we move ahead.